0: Thanks so much for listening to Pastor Josh from Redemption Church. If you're ever in the Johannesburg area, come and visit us. We would love to host you. For all of our resource and content, check out our website at www.redemptionchurch.co.za. All of our podcasts are available for free. Be blessed as you listen to this message. I am excited. This weekend, we've been dealing with this with the theme "Greater Than" and. Uh, On Friday, we dealt with the fact that grace is greater than sin. And this understanding of greater than is something that's so important for us to have in our spirits, that what happened at the cross was not a kind of like equal to, or kind of like a close contest between uh, good and evil. It wasn't like the movies would portray, um, you know, kind of this fight between a good, uh, the hero and the villain, where it kind of goes back and forward, like a rocky kind of things. Those of us who are... Younger, I don't know what's more later than, than the Rocky. I don't know what would be more recent. But you understand what I'm saying. If you look at like how movie and Hollywood portrays like good against evil, it's always a close game. I need to tell you this morning that the cross was an absolute hiding it was a thrashing. It wasn't just a payment just enough. It wasn't just like the debt of humanity was just about settled. It's 50-50, but you just got 51. It was an absolute thrashing because it is a victory that resounds through eternity. It didn't just win for what was to come. It won for what had been. It wasn't just a victory that was good enough for a moment. It was a victory that spanned both the history of humanity, and the future of humanity. It was an absolute thrashing. It's such an amazing thing. And, and, and as we discover today that life is greater than death, I pray that in your spirit you just catch how awesome it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, um, the gospel and the word gospel, is, 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 it doesn't come from the meaning hardworking. Uh, It doesn't come from the meaning committed to Jesus. Uh, The gospel is too good to be true news. In other words, if the gospel is preached correctly, there should be a part of you that goes, this cannot be. This is too good to be true. Uh, In fact, that's kind of what Paul was accused of the whole time, you know. You're saying something that's a little too good to be true, buddy. But that's what the very definition of the gospel is. And I want to tell you that today we're in this place to encounter a too good to be true gospel. I want to read you something. An article that was published in the Wall Street Journal today, I mean, on Friday, that I saw that I just loved. Uh, It came about through people telling me about it. Okay, I don't like read all weekend. Just let you know, because some people portray that they like some preachers get up and they're like, "Oh, this and this and this and this and this," and you think, "My word, what a studied read human being." I just want to let you know, this weekend has been chasing toddler weekend for me, and uh, and um, I have not read that much. Okay, so, but I want you to hear this. It was the worst news I could get as an atheist. My agnostic wife had decided to become a Christian. Two words shot through my mind. The first was expletive, in other words, a swear word, and the second was divorce. I thought she was going to turn into a self-righteous holy roller. But over the following months, I was intrigued by the positive changes in her character and values. Finally, I decided to take my journalism and legal training. I was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune at the time and systematically investigate whether there was any credibility to Christianity, Maybe I figured I could extricate her from this cult. I quickly determined that the alleged resurrection of Jesus was the key. Anyone can claim to be divine. But if Jesus backed up his claim by returning from the dead, then that was awfully good evidence he might have been telling the truth. Nearly For nearly two years, I explored the minutiae of historical data on whether this this uh, resurrection was a myth or reality. I didn't merely accept that the Bible stated it. I was determined to consider facts that were well supported by historical documentation. As my investigation unfolded, my atheism began to buckle. Was Jesus really executed? In my opinion, the evidence is so strong that even a famous atheist historian, Gerd Ludeman, said his death, being Jesus' death by crucifixion, was indisputable. Was Jesus' tomb empty? Scholium Willa L- uh, Lane Craig points out that its location was known to everybody in Jerusalem at the time. So if it had been, em- if it wasn't empty, it would have been. Impossible for a movement founded on the resurrection to have exploded into existence in the same city where Jesus had been publicly executed a few moments before. Besides, even Jesus' opponents implicitly admitted the tomb was vacant by saying his body had been stolen. But nobody had a motive for taking the body, especially the disciples, they would never have been willing to die brutal martyrs if they knew this was all a lie. Plus, the tomb was guarded by, guarded by a group of Roman soldiers, and the stone was admitted to weigh over two tons. Did anyone see Jesus alive again? I have discovered at least eight ancient sources that, in my view, confirmed the apostles' conviction that they encountered a resurrected Christ. Repeatedly, these sources stand strong when I try to discredit them. Could these encounters have been hallucinations? No way, experts tell me. Hallucinations only occur in individual brains, like dreams. Yet according to the Bible, Jesus appears to groups of people on multiple occasions, at sometimes over 500 people at once. Was this some sort of other vision? perhaps prompted by the apostles' deep grief over their leader's execution. This wouldn't explain the dramatic conversion of Saul, an opponent of Christians, or James, the highly skeptical half-brother of Jesus. Neither was primed for a vision, yet each saw a risen Jesus and later were killed proclaiming or died proclaiming that he had appeared to them. Besides, if these were visions, the body would still be in the tomb. Was the resurrection simply the recasting of ancient mythology akin to the fanciful tales of Osiris and Mithras? If you want to see an historian laugh out loud at you, bring up that kind of pop culture nonsense. One by one, my objections evaporated. I read books by skeptics but their counter-arguments crumbled under the weight of the historical data. No wonder atheists so often come up short in scholarly debates over the resurrection itself. In the end, after I had thoroughly investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain atheism than to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why today I'm celebrating my 30th Easter as a Christian. Not because of wishful thinking or my fear of death or the need for a psychological crutch, but because the facts speak louder than words. This was written by a journalist named Lee Strobel. And the interesting thing for me is that we need to to just fix something very uh, quickly here today. Um, We are not a bunch of delusional people gathering around a vision of one person at one point in time. We're not gathered around an occurrence that kind of could have happened and might not have happened. In fact, if we are to look back on anything that takes place in society up until now, what do we rely on to tell us what took place in history? Witnessed accounts. That's all we have. Uh, We we don't know who kings and, and queens and kingdoms and what took place up until now. We only have the accounts of witnesses. In fact, today, If I were to tell you to go eat at a restaurant, and you were to determine whether that restaurant served food, actually existed, was a real place, you wouldn't go based on just an article. That article would need to be substantiated by people's experience. Today, still, experience is how we as a society establish everything. Experience. Experience. What we know based on the history of humankind is if you are to disbelieve the death by crucifixion of Jesus, the claims that he made, and his resurrection, you would then have nothing else in society up until today based on the standards and the values we have to lean upon. In fact, we could even go down the road of saying, I don't know if we even exist. This is the matrix. Anything could be true. But today we stand proclaiming the death and life of someone who was witnessed to have been crucified and to have been walking around in the flesh by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Even some of those people never ended up believing but still confirmed that it happened. Now we have to accept that this has happened. What are we going to do about it? Well, I find that where we go wrong Is when we look at the reason for this death and this resurrection, we can go wrong if we make it still about us. See, today, as we gather on Resurrection Sunday, it would break my heart if we were sitting in a church and we heard a sermon like this Jesus suffers, is tortured, is crucified is broken, undergoes the most brutal death for your sin. Yes, you. You broken, lustful, guilty, shameful. You're not in church enough. You haven't done enough. Maybe you're here today for the first time and you hear what Jesus has done for you. How could you not hear that and not decide to make a decision to stop being this broken person and fix yourself up? you see the cross is not a message about you. It is a message about Him. And the worst thing we can do and the way that we can stay in brokenness and stay in bondage and stay in guilt and shame today is to make it about you. In fact, Christianity is not about behavior. Although behavior is what we should all like to do. I don't know anybody here today that goes, you know, I've got to tell you something, Josh. What I really want for my life is I want to destroy my marriage, snort all of my money up my nose, lose custody of my children, and end up on the street homeless. That's, that's, my, that's my greatest desire. Help me win in life. None of us desire to Fail. But where we miss it is when we think that the key to success is squarely dependent on you. That's not the gospel. You see, the gospel is not defined as a word that says gospel is people who decide to be ultra dedicated, committed people to Jesus. It's not a word that says the disciplined Christian. The gospel is the too good to be true news. The too good to be true news. So let's unpack this today, together today, because I believe in this place that you are going to hear about a gospel that is too good to be true, that will result in your liberation, the removal of your condemnation, and ultimately the winning, the key, the, the, the key ingredient for you to go out there and overcome in life. We're going to read a passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter together. We like to read Scripture in this church. And that's why i got my glasses on. Okay, cool. It's not a fashion statement, I promise you. I actually, uh, I need them. Anyways, um, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have. This is Paul writing, and he, he says I have a conflict before he opens up this passage of Scripture. In other words, i got a problem. There, there's something I need to address. There is something else. You know what conflict is. There's two opposing views, Right? those of us who are married today would know that 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 is what leads to conflict. Opposing views. And although the man might be the head, the woman certainly is the neck. So, um, I can say that because my wife isn't in the service today. And if any of you tell her, I will deny it. And then I will apologize profusely if she listens to the sermon. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. For I want you to know what a what a great conflict I have for you and those in Ladceia, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches, of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. So he's about to unpack the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom we are hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you. With persuasive words. Wow, he's talking about deception with words that seem like they make sense. You know, you can't be persuaded with rubbish, right? The devil always takes something that appears to be truth. Let me give you one. Let's sleep together before marriage because we'll determine then whether we're compatible. Just seems okay, seems bad. It's not to be condemning of you, but to just let you know that what perceives, it seems like it's a good idea. Okay, it's persuasive. Support united. They'll be okay. Thank God we'll know what he's doing. Just, it seems to be okay. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So he's commending them. And now he wants to keep them on the right track. He says, as you therefore have received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now we love this. Amen, Father. Yep, that's it. We're in this. Rooted and built in him. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now let's discover what that actually means to be rooted in Christ. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Wait a second. Okay. How? Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of man according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Okay, hang on a second now. Well, I mean, okay, philosophies, traditions. Okay, fine. He's obviously talking about like, you know, following other religions or following... You know, some weird New Age kind of stuff out there. He goes and says, For in him, being Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in him you are complete, in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, we are all now in Christ, and being in Christ, we share in his. His death and His resurrection. And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him. Having forgiven you all your trespasses. Okay. What else has He done? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Now in the context of the journey of faith, which started with Abraham and ends up with us having faith in Jesus, in the gospel, this journey of faith, what was the handwriting that was against us? The Ten Commandments. Contrary to us. Now, some people might believe the Ten Commandments were given to us to help us live better lives. Let me ask you this. Does God fail? So if he implements something, because he is God and his word reigns true, he cannot be God if he implements something for a purpose and it fails at that purpose. Correct. Right? He doesn't go, oops. He isn't God if he goes, oops. The Ten Commandments were not given for the purpose of us being better. The Ten Commandments, if you look Historically, scripture documentation were given for us to realize we were caught. And when Jesus walked the earth and encountered Pharisees and Sadducees, religious Jews, attempting to obey the law, they that thought they were keeping the law would then say, who the heck are you, you crazy idiot? idiot, you, you blaspheming nutcase. Who the heck do you think you are to claim to be the son of God and that we need you? We keep the law. We are getting our riches, our blessings, our righteousness because we are good. Correct. He then responds by upholding the law to its true righteous stature by declaring it perfect as if to say, let me tell you how perfect the law is and how much you have to keep it, that even if you've thought it, You've done it. If you've broken one, you've broken them all. I said on Friday that how would you like to be arrested for, indi- for not indicating and changing lanes? And in your arrest, the policeman then proclaims thousands of charges of the most malicious, vicious crimes that have ever existed in humanity from the beginning to the end over you. And you're like, what are you talking about? I just changed without indicating which I never do, by the way. (laughs) How would you feel about that legal system? Would you say that legal system is set up to justify or to condemn all? Obviously, this is an unfair system. Everybody's guilty of everything under this, which is what our Bible speaks of when it speaks of the law. So Paul says that Jesus, in forgiving us all our trespasses, has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And in removing the Ten Commandments that was against us, He has disarmed principalities and powers. He made, them a, public, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, Regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward. If you want a reward in Christ, and someone comes to preach to you the gospel of works, they're actually cheating you of your reward. Because they're putting you under a covenant that robs you. Because it declares you unqualified, undeserving. All right? So here it says, Taking delight, this this is the people now. They cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ... From the basic principles of the world. What are the basic principles? Common sense. You get out what you put in. Why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Which all concern things which perish with its using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, self, me. It's about I, false humility, and neglect the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Firstly, it's calling the the doctrines of self-righteousness, self-qualification right, as a deceiving, cheating you of your reward doctrine. It's also telling us there that you basically will not be able to overcome your flesh in that doctrine. Now, let, now let, me, let me simplify this this morning, okay. Is anybody in this place here ever been on a diet, okay? So, don't raise your hand, but I'll raise both, okay. All right, I'll raise my feet if I can as well, okay. I, I find this, this amazing thing that happens to me. I decide I am going to not eat a certain criteria of food. Depending on what's going on in Hollywood would depend on what the criteria of food is at the moment. But it usually involves the good stuff, okay? And uh, and it's like, okay, so can the good stuff, and have you noticed just how when you decide to stop the good stuff, that you become conscious of just how much good stuff there is around you, near to you, being consumed by your partner, your friend, your coworker, your boss. Have you ever noticed the amount of hatred and envy that pops up in you in, in a workplace where you decide to go and diet, and that's the day everybody's having a birthday. That's the day cake is flying around and warm, fresh baked cupcakes. And have you noticed just how conscious you become of the bad stuff that's the good stuff when you decide to stop it? That's why I, 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 I apparently have British-Irish heritage and I like what I like about the Irish is they put St. Patrick's Day in the middle of Lent. Just because Irish people would never make it the 40 days. You know, it if it halfway they can if they can have a drink halfway, it's okay, all right? So they were smart when they did that. But let me, let me make it more practical. In this room full of doors and exits and places to go, if I was to put all over one of the doors signage up that said, you cannot look behind this door. You cannot go in this door. It's for private, confidential. You have to have permission. There is stuff behind this door we cannot afford to have you see. I could be telling the truth. But if I was to leave you alone in this place, which door would you be provoked to look behind? something in us just wants to break rules. Any of us who have children would realize this is true as a name. I have not had to teach my kids to say, I mean, I have not had to teach my kids to be manipulative, lying. I mean, the youngest has realized that, that if he's crying when I walk in the room, his older brother gets in trouble. So the other day he smashed his older brother with his cricket bats over the head, um, Jonathan was crying. I walked to the room and Joel was crying and Joel said, Jonathan hit him first. Now there was an eyewitness who v- verified that Joel was lying. I didn't have to teach him to do that. He's three years of age and he's figured out if he can lie, he doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> it's like an instinctive thing to just, just break the rules and just be naughty. And, and so here we see that Paul is saying, let me explain something to you here. You've got to be very careful who's deceiving you and making you think this is about you. You need to realize what it is to be in Christ that you share in the cross and you share in His death where He conquers sin. You also share in His resurrection where He conquers death. And in this, you have to have a revelation that you mustn't go back to the doctrines of man. You mustn't think that the handwriting of the requirements of the law were for you. In fact, they are contrary to you. And they will profit you nothing if you think they're gonna help you live a better life. Because what I can tell you today, as someone who really has tried to lose weight my whole life, the harder I try, the harder it becomes. I mean, I don't know about you, like you just decide today I'm going to have patience. Have you noticed how within, you've you never sworn like that in your life that morning in that car after you decided to have patience when that person cut you off. Okay, I'm not talking about me, okay? I'm talking about other people. (laughs) All right? (laughs) I have to remind myself I'm a pastor sometimes. Um, But the point is, all of us have this thing called our flesh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 is very interesting because it says something about Jesus and it says something about us. It says, we've been raised up together with him and in this, we have been made to be seated with him in the heavenly places. You know what's interesting? In the temple here on earth, in the Holy of Holies, there is no chair. There is no place for the high priest to sit because as long as he's behind the veil trying to cut covenant on behalf of a fallen nation and God and trying to get their sins covered, he was never allowed to sit down because the work was never finished because he could only cover the sins for the year to come. He couldn't do it for the future. He just, the work was never finished of the high priest. That's why when Jesus cries out, it is finished at the cross and he sheds his blood for the sin of the world, past, present and future. He is seated in the Holy of Holies Forever, because the work is complete. The high priest does not need to work anymore. The work is finished. Galatians, Paul is writing here. Let's read some more scripture around the subject. Chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, uh, 19 through 21. I want to I tell you what it says in the Bible. Okay, we're going to read from the message translation. What actually took place is this I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman. This is Saul of Tarsus telling you what took place in his transition from an attempted keeper of the law, murderer of Christians, to a believer in Jesus Christ. He says, it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with him. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. This is the Bible. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith by my faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. It's not about behavior, it's about belief. Faith is believing Jesus loves you and His love pushed Him to pay the price for you. I am not going to, be- to go back on that, he says. Is it not clear to you that, you, that to go back to that old rule-keeping Peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, Christ died unnecessarily. You see, today we need a revelation of what actually happened In this sacrifice and in this resurrection, Romans chapter six verses three through eleven, Paul is again reiterating what it means that we share in what Jesus has done. Or do you not know that as many of us who have baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe, again, it's about belief, that we should also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sin is no longer how God sees you. Now, we all have our flesh, which is what Paul has said. We all have this daily life of our flesh that is with us. Come on. I mean, let's be honest in this place, okay? You don't, let me tell you, you might think I'm perfect. I might look perfect, okay? Okay. But the bottom line is Tara will tell you I am not because she knows me. You see, but that's a true statement for me and my fleshly character. But because I have faith in what Jesus has done for me, whenever God looks down upon me, whether I'm making a mistake or not, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ and he sees me as a perfect child, a sinless child. In other words, I need to understand my righteous identity. That is what the identity that I have been given according to the heavenly perspective today. And Paul says, with this revelation, we need to abandon trying to earn it. Now, there's a famous passage of Scripture I want to read you this morning. Mark chapter 8, verses 34. That says, Jesus is speaking and he says, He calls his disciples and the people to himself and he says to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him, being the person, deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. If you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, you've got to come after me by denying, you've got to pursue me by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and then you'll be able to follow me. Well, first and foremost, I want to tell you today, we need to understand the Bible, and we need to have a revelation that there are different seasons and context for every single statement in the Bible. I'll give you some contextual statements according to life today, all right? Uh, I am attracted to Tara, and I say to her, would you go out on a date with me? And she reluctantly agrees after months of stalking and some scary, some, you know, I asked her when she woke up and she was sleeping. She didn't know I was in her house, but it's okay. She knows, I'm just joking with you, but just journey with me for a moment. We are now on a date and we order some food, okay? Um, And, uh, you know, the food and the bill comes and, uh, you know, she decides she wants to pay and after a while we kind of Deliberate. But I let her pay. It's her money. She's got her independence. She's allowed to do it. Not something I would ever, if I had a daughter um, and a guy I let her pay, that will be the last time he takes on a date. But, but my illustration is this. In the season of dating, it is true, and it's adequate to say, I have my finance, she has her finance. I've got my life and my responsibility, she has hers. Now we progress into a bit more of a serious relationship. We get engaged Alright, but it's still not, it's not the serious time. It's kind of like, and you can kind of say there's a definite expectation on me to pay, but there's still her money, my money. All right. If I'm a multi-billionaire and she is studying at varsity and she's waitressing on weekends for extra cash, the statement rings true that she still has her finance. And I have my finance. I can choose to bless her on occasion. But something changes the day we stand before God and bring about a new covenant between us. Because from then on, right, and this is let's just the last few years with the whole, you know, legal entities and, you know, what's mine is then I'm gonna save, and if I go bankrupt in the whole before prenup, on prenup, no prenup, nap, no. let's just call it the covenant that it's been for the past couple of thousands of years, right? Marriage is what we had, what you had and what I had now becomes ours. All right. If she goes out with her friends and pays with her credit card, it comes off of my bank account. And that is not abnormal. Why? Because we've entered into a new covenant. There are things that change. I can no longer run around with my friends on golf retreats all the time, all right? Because I've entered into a more serious covenant, I know, I know. But this is what it means. It means we have now proclaimed ourselves as one entity. She shares in what I own, I share in what she owns. And if I'm a trillionaire and she has nothing, the day we enter this covenant, she's rich. She can have a credit card with her name on it, but it's coming off my account. And that's acceptable, correct, now, we have stages in the Bible where there's different passages of Scripture with declarations. If we take them all literally and apply them to today, we are gonna have a very weird, out, different, it's just, would be interesting. I mean, there's a passage of Scripture where is about to go to battle. God says, circumcise all the men so that they are weak in battle and they have faith in me. Well, let me just tell you today, we're locking the doors right now because I want you all to win in life. I want you all, your businesses to flourish. I want all the men in this place to to, to see God's victory. And because of that, I'm taking a passage of Scripture where God instructs man for victory to make sure he's weak. So we're all going to line up in front of that guillotine over there. And you're all getting circumcised today as a part of this church. Hallelujah. It's crazy, isn't it? Why? Because it's not contextual. Now, when did Jesus make this statement? He had yet to die on the cross. Do you know that? And because he had yet to die on the cross, he couldn't teach you out of a grace revelation. He could demonstrate grace, which was when bankrupt people came to him and said, I'm in need. And he said, that's cool. You've recognized me as God. I'll give you supply. But he couldn't teach of grace He couldn't expound upon grace because he had yet to die. In fact, he says, right, there are things I'd like to reveal to you, but I can't. You won't understand them. You know, people say to me, red letters, red letters, red letters. They take out the fact that the word of God is the inspired word of God. And the epistles are the final final words to us. The same God that, broke, that breathed words in real life breathed words by the Holy Spirit in this. It's not just red letters. It's all red letters. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you today? So in this understanding, we have Jesus saying, pick up your cross, follow me. Now, now, I know there's some people are going, but no, 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 this doesn't make sense because now you're saying something super sacrilegious. You're going down a hyper grace, universalistic. This is, let me explain something to you. If it rings true, that taking up your cross and denying yourself whilst you are pursuing him is what qualifies you to be declared a follower of Christ, then the moment you break that, the moment you do not deny yourself, the moment you do not pick up your cross, and by cross, we understand that as our suffering. Afrikaans people will know the statement, every house has its cross. Everybody has their burden to bear right? Am I, am I making a bit of uh, statements of, of sense in this place there? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's been preached as, you know, you got to pick up your stuff. You got to make sure you take your burden and you, you pursue God. And if that was true to today, then that would mean the second you stop doing that, you're no longer a follower of Christ and your salvation hangs in the balance. In fact, you're actually no longer saved. You're no longer a follower of Jesus if that was true you know the word there, deny yourself? Do you know that this passage of Scripture, this deny yourself, is never mentioned again after the Gospels? After Jesus dies and is raised again, that word is never mentioned again. And in this context, Paul never ever says, let me tell you, brother and sister, how to overcome, how to have a revelation of what it is to be a true follower of Christ, how it is to be a person who is following the right doctrine and the right Gospel. He never says... Make sure you pursue Him, you come after Him, you pick up your cross, and you deny yourself. He never ever says those things. If it was the hinge factor on knowing Jesus and staying a good follower, why not repeat it all the time? In fact, we see Paul saying, let me explain something to you. It's not about what you can do. In fact, if you go down your own works, if you go down your own strength, if you pursue trying to earn your righteousness, you are being deceived and cheated of your reward. You know that that word deny, it's a Greek word, and we see it mentioned in scripture. We see it mentioned around the time that Jesus is walking the earth. And we see it in context to this very statement where God says, "Follow me, come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross." Right? If you want to be a follower, we see it in context where somebody has blatantly messed that up. Let's go there together. Matthew chapter 26, verses 31. We're going to read together. Jesus says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me in this night. For it is written, because he had to fulfill prophecy, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answers him and says to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. In other words, Peter says, let me explain something to you, Jesus. Let's just, whoa. Hold on a second. You're telling me we're gonna bail on you. You're telling me we're gonna gonna let you down. We're gonna fail you today. That when they come for you, we're not gonna hang around to defend you. Let me explain something to you, okay? Jesus. I don't know if you remember, I was the guy in the middle of the storm that when you said, come, I got out and walked on water. These pansies stayed in the boat, scared for their lives, but I actually am recorded. I'm the only guy besides you. I know you did it. I know it was great. I know it was wonderful. But I'm the only fleshly being besides you that can claim to have walked on the water. I possess some faith, Jesus. Don't you understand? Like, like, let me explain something to you. I am the epitome of faith. I am the picture of faith. I am the guy that will be here when everybody else bails. Forget about John talking about love all day long. Okay, let's put this grace rubbish aside and love aside. I'm the dude that shows up when the going gets tough. Now, you might be partially correct. They might all bail, but I'm not going to bail. You know, Jesus responds to someone who boasts in their own strength. You see, this is the tragedy of the church. We've made faith about your decision to show God where Paul says in Galatians, I've decided to stop trying to live to impress him because when I live to impress him, I activate the handwriting and its power because it's declared that the dominion is removed when we have a revelation That the handwriting has been removed. When we bring back the handwriting, when we bring back a performance based Christianity, we activate the principalities and powers and we give weight to the devil. So Jesus responds like he does every time to someone who says, You got it wrong about me, buddy. I have some pretty good, I'm pretty good at this. I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm pretty devoted and committed. He actually says to Peter, let me explain something to you, Peter. Before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. There's that word deny. Peter then says, let me explain to you, Jesus. Even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. Then all the other disciples jumped into the bandwagon because it seemed like the right thing to say. Yeah, yeah, no, us too, us too, us to us too. But Peter's the one that steps out and says, no, I don't think you understand Jesus, right? Denying self is what I'm great at. I can get out and walk on water if you tell me. They stayed in the boat in fear. I denied myself and got out. I, I'm, the, I'm the dude that can follow you. I'm the dude that can pick up this cross. I can walk with you. Jesus is like, you don't understand. This is my burden to bear. This is my place to go. Let me explain to you. When you boast in yourself, you're absolutely inadequate. So let's read on. Verse 69. What happens? Peter is set outside the courtyard. A servant girl comes to him saying, you're also with Jesus of Galilee. It's a girl, by the way. He denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gate where another girl saw him and said, another girl, okay? To those who with, this is the guy who is with Jesus of, of Nazareth. Again, he says, listen, I, 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 I'll tell you this in an oath. I'm serious about this. I don't know this guy. A little later, he stood up and, and, and came and said to Peter, surely you are one of them. For your, your speech betrays you. I mean, you're lying. He begins to curse and swear. This is how adamant he is. I do not know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Three times, he went out and wept bitterly. Here's some interesting things about this passage of Scripture. First and foremost, it was little girls that brought him to his knees. In society at that time, women had no rights. None. They were bought, sold, it was just... An object. A little girl was not a Roman centurion with a sword to Peter's throat. It was not impending death. It was not a noble like thing for him to stand and you're like, listen, let's be honest, okay? If you've got your whole family being held up with a machine gun and someone says, do you believe in Jesus? Like, what are you going to do? No, this was a guy to a little girl. How cowardly can you get? To take it even furthermore into the cowardly aspect, he is saying this in the temple courts, in the presence of witnessing Jesus' suffering. He is there in an eyewitness capacity. He is within visual distance to Christ and seeing what he's going through. And he does not possess the gumption to even say, Man, when I witness, you see, when we tell people, look at what he went through for you. Look at what he went through for you. Look at what he went through for you. Now you stand up and live for him. We are setting them up to fail. Listen to me today in this place. We are making it about them. And Peter is witnessing this. And he has not, the guy who walked on water could not even admit, I'm with him. You know, his empathy doesn't even kick in. Have you ever noticed, like, if you're, your best friend's getting beat up, you you like, after a while, you start seeing him getting beaten to a pop. You should jump in. Your empathy kicks in. We've got to save this guy's life. He actually says, let me bleeping, 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 make this bleeping clear. For the third time, I don't know this guy. Peter. Peter. You know, at this moment, Peter, he leaves weeping bitterly. In other words, it strikes home, and he's sorrowful. You know, we tell people, repent, 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 repent. And the Bible says repentance is key. But the word that the Bible uses for repentance, in most cases, especially around you receiving salvation and victory in your life, it's the Greek word metanoia. And it means this, change your thinking from a I'm condemned to I am saved. We understand repentance as sorrow. Are you sorry? Now, my three-year-old tells me sorry every five seconds. His latest one now is he hits his brother and his brother's a pulp. And it's, I'll never do it again, daddy. Never do it again, all right? Because this is what stopped him getting hidings in the past, Okay. We need to understand that, do you know Judas betrayed Jesus? And you know that Peter was not a scholar of the law. Peter, Peter was horrible at, at, at being a good guy in the temple. Peter was not known in the community as the guy who understood the law, was a patron of the law. He was kind of like, you're a bit of an idiot, you're a bit of a weirdo, you're a bit of a crazy person, you're unstable, go fish. <laughs> Judas was raised as a, as a key Fundamental, this guy knows the law. This guy carries it out. You know what's interesting? In this context, Peter actually fails Jesus way more than Judas who betrays him. Peter actually denies his very, Peter according to the law was the one who failed Jesus the most. Yet Peter goes away weeping. But the Bible tells me the Greek word for sorrow is what Judas displays when he goes to the temple trying to give the money back. He was sorrowful and still being sorry and sorrowful. He goes and executes judgment upon himself, being aware of the law and hangs himself. Peter, who doesn't know the law, doesn't kill himself. And then in this context, we see something radical happen. Because Peter has done it all wrong according to that passage of Scripture, so famously known. He has not followed Jesus. He has not picked up a cross, pick up a cross. He was witnessing Jesus be martyred, and he didn't even have the gumption to say, okay, I'm with him, right? And deny yourself. Deny yourself means to show some sacrifice, to put, put in your skin in the game. Where's your part in this, in this deal? Come on, how more cowardly can you get? But you see, that is before the cross. That is before Jesus was able to restore humanity to a covenant that was now based on his goodness, based on the love of God, the grace of God. And what happens is Jesus rises from the dead. And we see in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, something that is so scandalous and so insane, but it is documented. Something that is so against what it is to perform for God and to show ourselves worthy. It says here, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam brought spices. And that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they come to the tomb where the sun had risen. And they said amongst themselves, who is going to roll away this massive stone so that we can kind of get into this tomb? Because they've got to now anoint the body. And they look up, they see the stone is rolled away. This is a big deal because the Bible even says it was large, over two tons. And then they enter the tomb, they see this young man clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, where they, and they were alarmed. But he says to them, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he is risen. He's not here. See over there, the place where they laid him, showing them that he was gone. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Listen to this. Peter failed God massively. The first words out of God's mouth through an angel, the first name mentioned after Jesus has been risen again was mentioned to give us all revelation of the covenant we have with God today. Let me explain this to you. If the angel had said, go get the disciples and tell them Jesus is risen, he'll meet them in in, in Galilee, this is what would have happened. They would have gone to the others that were left, and they would have left Peter. Why? Because Peter was disqualified. Peter denied Christ. The coward didn't even get to the cross. He didn't even help Jesus' mother. He wasn't even supportive. He actually joined the enemy. If it wasn't today's society, it would be he's backslidden. He's denied Christ. He's destined for hell. My Bible speaks a very different power, a very different gospel, because my Bible tells me that when they Heard his disciples, they went, yes. And the angel had to distinguish. And Peter. You see... Because the angel wanted to let them know to go tell Peter by name. Because when they approached Peter, they would have said, have you not heard? He has risen. And Peter would have said, with a gnashing of teeth and a weeping, oh my goodness, if only I had just possessed the faith to believe. If only I had just been there. I would have been a part of this. I would have been able to fulfill the call and been a part of the rock that builds the church. I would have been somebody to be reckoned with, but I failed him so greatly. And they would have said, yeah, we know, but he's asked for you by name. He's asked for you by name. He's distinguished. He wants the disciples and he's including you in it. Why? Because he has now restored a different covenant. He has brought about a different way that God deals with us based on his love and his grace. And the very quote and the context in which Jesus says, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, has now changed. Because now, according to Jesus' description of God, our Father, He pursues you, the lost sheep. Not the one who's good in the herd, the one that got lost, the coin that got lost, the son who blew all the inheritance and walks away, the Peter who denied Christ himself. God himself says, I pursue you. I pursue you. And now you don't need to pick up your cross. You can pick up my cross. In other words, you can walk around with a finished work that you had no role to play with other than just believing in. And last but not least, deny yourself is no longer about being on diet. It's about saying, I'm not here to save myself. I deny the power of trying to save myself and I lean fully on the finished work of the cross. We go on to see Peter's life totally transform and change. In fact, it is Peter who preaches and thousands get saved. It is Peter who is the bedrock for the new church. And it is Peter in his dying days who's imprisoned and tortured. And whilst he's being tortured, he's preaching the gospel and people are getting saved based on historical data of what took place in the prisons. And what we believe, according to what was documented, was when they came to crucify him, you know, he, Peter wanted to be one of those guys who went out with a bang. He wanted to be one of those guys who said, let me tell you something. I live for a purpose. I live for a cause. I'm here for something greater than myself. But when he leaned upon himself, he couldn't even admit Christ to a little girl. But once he got a revelation of the finished work and he'd been redeemed by the blood of his Savior and he'd been restored by the resurrection life, you know, they came to crucify him in the midst of him getting there. They were like, we've got to end his life because everybody's becoming believers in this prison. And they say, Peter, we're going to crucify you. Any last wishes? The old Peter would have literally tear it in his boots. "Uh, What am I going to do to get out of this? You know what his response was? Crucify me upside down. I don't even deserve to die like he died. See, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a Christian lives a life of purpose, wanting to accomplish things. But let me make something very clear. The devil wants you to make it about your effort, your work, your sacrifice. And when, he, when, when you do that, you bring yourself under a certainly guilty, certainly condemned, certainly insufficient to do what you want to do. But when you bring yourself under what the Holy Spirit is out to convict us, the believer, of our righteousness, once you believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, even though you've made a mistake, you can get up again. Nothing. If we have Peter being recalled to the army and repositioned as the head of the church, post the ultimate betrayal and denial of Christ, nobody is beyond redemption. Nobody is beyond restoration. And no situation is greater than the recovery that God can bring. Have a revelation today that Jesus has done it all. And all you have to do is depend on it and lean on it. And if your belief is wired that way, Paul says this, I labored more than them all. And he wasn't talking about sinners. He was talking about every single follower of Christ, Paul says in Scripture. And you know what? It's written down in Scripture, which means God was with him on that. And he says, I labored more than them all because grace was not in vain. In other words, I had a bigger revelation of grace than anybody else. And this is why I have performed more than everybody else. Because you know what? When I am weak, he is strong. It is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Thanks so much for listening to this message today by Pastor Josh. We really trust that it blessed you. For more graceful messages like this, check out our website at www.redemptionchurch.co.za. If this message or any other message has impacted your life, we'd love to hear about it. So please email it to testimony at redemptionchurch.co.za. And remember, if you're ever in the Johannesburg area, come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.